Hello Peers, my name is Lagaya Manalastas and I'm a virtual program coordinator here at Peer Solutions. I'm back with another episode of Tip Talk and on today's agenda, we'll be discussing the intersection of environmental conservation and social justice. Now many of you may be familiar with this concept as climate justice. For the rest of you who are not familiar with this concept, I'm going to be taking you with me on this journey to educate myself and others. I have a few different sources I've pulled here from the grand old interweb for us to deep dive into. We've got the Globalization and Health Journal from Biomed Central, an article from Arizona State University, a research project from University of Arizona, and some quick facts cited by University of Michigan. This first article from Biomed Central was written by Leslie Solomonian and Erica Di Ruggiero in March of last year, 2021. Solomonian is the co-founder and chair of Naturopathic Doctors for Environmental and Social Trust, while Di Ruggiero is the director of the Center for Global Health at the University of Toronto. So this article is going to cover the global picture for us. Right off the bat, they prefaced the article with the fact that this issue was brought to center stage due to the effects of COVID-19 and the heightened discussion around white supremacy. One sentence here says, quote, those that are disproportionately affected by climate change are the same who have been exploited, displaced, marginalized, and murdered to concentrate wealth for the elite whose actions have further driven the degradation of the environment, end quote. So just to summarize at this point in the article, the people on top exploit those on the bottom and it gets worse and worse with the acceleration of technology. A couple of centuries pass and we have capitalism. In capitalism, this technology is used for the privatization and commodification of resources. The people on top uses his power and wealth to generate more of his own power and wealth by harming the land and harming the masses. Direct effects on the land, resource depletion, toxic waste generation, carbon emissions. Further down the line, we have droughts, wildfires, floods. Now which group of people do you think has the worst of it when it comes to the climate crisis? Bingo, the exploited, the marginalized, the oppressed. It keeps them on the ground, it keeps them hungry, and it keeps them poor. What do they do when they need access to resources? They go back to the rich to buy it from them. What do the rich do when they need access to resources? They hire the poor to mass produce it for them and turn it into a profit. The rest of the article discusses utilitarianism and cites intersectional methods of defining good and the habits, practices, norms, and beliefs that mitigate planetary harm. So after reading that article, we wanted to know, what does this look like in Arizona? How does this affect us in the context that we are living on stolen land and have been exploiting the natural resources and indigenous peoples that belong here? An article from ASU News written in November of 2020 highlights experts' thoughts. ASU's Project Humanities is an initiative that, quote, strives to be a leader in local, national, and international conversations about the breadth, depth, and value of humanity study and humanist practice and understanding across disciplines and communities, end quote. The article summarizes the discussion that was held in a live stream called Environmental Justice Indigenous Communities, as it was hosted by Project Humanities. To start off with a concrete example, participant Manuel Pino reflected on how his Native American Pueblo community gave residence to a uranium mine that contaminated the land and poisoned the members of the reservation. I'm going to quote Vanessa Nozzi from the panel when she said, quote, Our environmental is a key resource to our identity and who we are as Indigenous people. Our cultural resources come from the earth in order to conduct a lot of other resources. So when you talk about environmental racism, you're talking about cultural destruction and genocide on our people, end quote. In the next source, the University of Arizona Climate Justice Network has various projects and publications that lead the fight against this problem. I'm going to read a sentence from their mission that defines climate justice. I feel like out of all the scenarios we've discussed so far, they define it the best. 
Quote, climate justice frames climate issues as questions of social justice, raising ethical and political concerns about who drives climate change and vulnerability, who is most affected by climate change and variability, who makes decisions about responding to climate change, and how climate policy can address problems of inequality and socially just development. End quote. All of their projects highlight the environmental STEM-based angle of the research. One initiative led by Dr. Carletta Chief was an assessment of the effects of climate change for the Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe in the Navajo Nation. The goal of this project was to educate those tribe members in how to combat these effects and equip them with the right tools to do so. Majority of these tribe members could already see the deterioration of the ecosystem, primarily through the decrease in population numbers for the Kiwi and Lahontan cutthroat trout. Dr. Chief was able to conduct surveys and find management solutions as the rates of participation for the members of the community were high. I mean, these tribes being in the Southwest are really on the devastating end when it comes to the spectrum of climate crisis impacts. I applaud Dr. Chief and her students for this amazing project. Please view the Climate Justice Network website to find out more and see if you and your own community can get involved. Next, I'm just going to share some quick statistics recorded by the University of Michigan's Center for Sustainable Systems. On average, people of color make up 56% of the population living in neighborhoods with toxic release inventory facilities. The average income of residents living within three miles of a coal power plant in the year 2000 was over $3,000 less than the national average. Low-income households spend three times as much of their income on energy than non-low-income households despite consuming less energy. Roughly 3% of the country's oil and natural gas reserves, 15% of coal reserves, and between 37 to 55% of uranium reserves are located on indigenous land. These resources and their associated land have in the past been taken away from indigenous people once they were discovered. Areas with poor healthcare infrastructure, often in developing nations, will be the least able to cope with catastrophic events of climate change, such as heat waves, droughts, severe storms, and outbreaks of waterborne diseases. I'm now going to pass it over to Elijah Costales Chevalier to conduct the interview portion of this episode. Hello, peers. My name is Elijah Costales Chevalier, biology teacher here at Western School of Science and Technology and Peer Solutions Program Coordinator for our chapter out in Maryville here at Western. And I'm joined today by Cristian Castillo. Uh, my name is uh, Christian Castillo, and I'm now a peer ed for the Peer Solutions Program. And I've been enjoying uh, the tutoring on Mondays. I mean, l- last week was my first uh, introduction, and I'm I'm excited to start and like get a hang of it. So, Christian, in your current everyday life, how does the climate crisis? that we're experiencing here on planet Earth affect you, if, if at all? Well, it gets hotter since um, there's more fossil fuels being burned now, and it gets trapped in the atmosphere, and it makes the whole globe, like, hot. And I've, I've been noticing uh, there are, like, some leaves on trees that have been burning, not with fire, but, like, have been, like, showing yellow spots, and that's not good because trees are the main source, or plants in general are the main source of oxygen. And without oxygen, we can't live. Mm-hmm. Have you been feeling hotter? Do you feel like the temperatures have been a little more extreme here, like in Phoenix for us, or no? Yeah, this like these past few weeks, I've been noticing that there are more uh, heat warnings, so to not spend too much time outside because it's really hot. Absolutely. So, 
thinking about identity, how do you think your identity, so for example, it could be your ethnic background, gender, stuff like that, affect your socioeconomic privilege, so kind of like your class status? Um, it can affect it in different ways. So I'm a, I am a Hispanic, and some most of uh, Hispanics don't get paid as much as white people do. For example, most black people are most likely to get paid less just because of the color of your skin. And white people are mainly like most of them are high class, so they earn mo- they earn more money than we do. And like we gotta change that so everything is like just equal. Okay. And so, so you mentioned you were Hispanic. You're Mexican, right? Yes. So being Mexican, do you think that's affected like the financial position that you and your family are in in your life? Like, yeah or no? And tell me kind of. Well, right now, um. I'm not saying that me and family are rich or we're poor. We're we're middle class, so we can we can like eat food and you know go out whenever we want to and stuff like that. But for other people, um, I feel like like the only race is that's put very high up in expectations. It's just white people, so they get a lot of um, like a lot of expectations and high expectations. When other people can be trying to work harder to get to that position, and other people won't notice just because of the race, gender, or identity, or how they represent themselves. Okay. So when we think about, we have the climate crisis, and we have the this idea of the different classes, like socioeconomics, right? Yeah. Have you ever seen these two things intersect in your life, or in anyone's life? Well, uh, I don't know, I, maybe like a few months ago, there was this incident in, um, in I, I believe, Tucson, where... I, I'm pretty sure it was Tucson where the electricity went out, so all the AC and stuff just completely stopped working. And everybody everybody mainly was just outside with the water and, like, just, like, just trying to cool themselves off. All the, all the animals and shelters with fans and stuff, so everyone got moved. And mainly the high-class people were able to, like, actually go out somewhere and, like, get AC while these other lower-class people had to stay at home and just try to use water and just use their, like, paper to, like, just keep them cool, like okay. a fan. Okay, so when there is a crisis or when there is, like, some infrastructure or system has crumbled, right, and then we don't have access to resources as easily as we did before, you're saying maybe, like, more high-class folks, it's still accessible. It's so easy for them to, oh, get a new AC or get that fixed. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, or just travel to somewhere in the meantime where there's actually electricity for them. Yeah, flee, go somewhere else, find yeah. electricity elsewhere. Okay, any other examples of that? That I haven't seen in the past few weeks or days or months? No, that's mainly the big one. What about in someone think. else's life? Like, have you seen in media or heard stories? Um, Well, I have seen these uh, these TikTok videos just in general where, where these guys, well, this guy goes up to homeless people or just people that are like mainly struggling and I have, I've, I've mainly seen just um, Mexicans and black people. I really haven't seen any white people struggling on the streets. So that has to say something. And he just gives them like like a, like money and cash and just runs away. Okay, yeah, I've seen those. And so, I mean, like, oftentimes he does those with, like, the eloteros, right? Yeah. Street vendors. It's just been just in general, just, like, random homeless people. Well, at least the guy I watched is just yeah. random. Okay. And so 
have you ever contributed in the past to promote like the climate justice movement? Like, have you ever been a part of something that was like to help climate justice and fight for the earth, you know, to be better? Well, I have tried my best to, on on my part at least. I really haven't got involved in any so, uh, social activities, um, but now I'm trying my best to like just more recycling because that's mainly the problem with especially plastic. It gets polluted everywhere, and if we can burn that plastic and reuse it again, there really won't be that many problems either. But okay. I am trying to like or just reuse things in general. Yes, re- reduce, reuse, recycle, and it's very hard to recycle plastic. So, yeah, like doing what we can to recycle it and absolutely reuse, reuse, reuse. Yes. Um, have you heard of any projects or policies that are in motion right now to help with the movement? So policies would be like laws and stuff. And if you aren't aware of the laws, then have you heard of any projects? Like sometimes I see people on TikTok doing certain things to help the planet. Or What have you heard about? Well, all I've or one law that's mainly everywhere is you know littering or just throwing stuff on the on the on the floor. Because even though stuff does decompose after a long time, but plastic is the main one that doesn't decompose at all. So that one just stays there. It just accumulates over time, and that's I haven't really seen anything like any movements or programs or stuff like that. Yeah, and that could affect other life. Right? Yeah, think, just, like the plastic being there in the ecosystem. Yeah, just um, uh, for example, in oceans, the sea turtles uh, with the, I I believe they're called the O-rings that they use for to like put like soda cans inside of like mm. a six pack. They've been uh, they get wrapped around the turtle's neck or their fin, and it like stays in and it's tight. And they can't get it off, so it either just cuts off blood circulation off there. Or they, or animals just eat the plastic and they feel like they're full and then they'll just die of starvation. All right, so you kind of hit on it already, but like what decisions can people make in their everyday lives to help with this movement? So maybe it's not a law or some yeah. big club or social action, but like any more that you can think of, just like everyday decisions in the everyday life. Well, well, well first, I'm not going to say that I do all of this stuff because I'm not a perfect person either, but... But people do know what's right and what's wrong to do. And most of the times they just don't think it's a big deal. And I have thought it that way before. But then I realized after that, if I maybe if I would have done that different, it could help. Obviously, it's a small thing. But once people come together and start doing the same thing, it just like those little things build up over time and they can make a big change. All right. So it is serious. We should be thinking about it and behaving accordingly. And it can also create serious change if enough people are doing it collaboratively, collaboratively together. Yes. That makes sense. So you mentioned not littering. You mentioned reusing. You mentioned recycling. Anything else? Like just stuff in our everyday life? Also, try not to burn as many things as possible since that, that's what releases um, fossil fuels, I think when it's burned burning fossil fuels like combustion yeah. so maybe combustion, driving yes. less driving less or maybe switching to electrical neighborhoods because i know some neighborhoods are gas with gas i'm pretty sure but even oh like using, a gas stove yeah. versus an electric stove yeah but, okay but i'm pretty sure uh, electricity still produces carbon though yeah electricity also comes from the burning of fossil fuels so how might you be able to reduce your like electricity footprint maybe just try not to use as much as you can like for example when you leave your room which i always forget to do but to turn your fans off your tv off and just like stuff you aren't using 
that's that's something I need to start getting into the habit of doing. Yeah. But maybe like you have a fish tank running, it makes sense to keep the filter and the lights on, you know, because they it's a necessity that they need. So it's it's different. But if you can just start doing this little these little minor changes, and eventually it's gonna add up and it's gonna make a big change. Yeah, absolutely. So reducing the amount of electricity we're using. Anything else you can think of? What about here in the desert, like in Arizona? Well, it's, it's Any pretty... resources we're limited on? Resources. Aren't we getting low on water? Water, too. Because um, it's kind of dumb. I don't know why people want to put money on water when everybody needs it. Because there is enough water for the whole world to drink. Oh, yeah, it's putting that, a price on yeah, yeah, clean water. And yeah, even though... I guess the expensive thing about water is having to purify it and because there's a lot of salt water everywhere and you could literally like have an ultimate su- supply of water but i don't know why people put price on things that are necessities like for example some people like homeless people going in to ask for food some shop owners are nice and they understand maybe maybe they were in that position not too long ago or maybe they just see a different perspective than other people do they give them food, they give them water. So I don't think we should put a price on the necessities, just the things we want. Okay. So yeah, basic needs shouldn't come yeah. with a price tag. And we should be generous with those things. Yeah. That everyone gets what they need. Because at the end of the day, there's there's more than enough water and food to be distributed throughout the whole world. It's just money. I agree. So do you see kind of what we were, like what I was asking before yeah. about the socioeconomic privilege? So you mentioned like fleeing climate crisis is easier if you're higher up High but like who do you think is most likely to be in a crisis of not having like their basic needs met as resources get harder and harder right like as that clean water is Starts less and less yeah. accessible it's like during the pandemic where everybody went on a craze of buying water toilet paper everything so it was getting limited and hoarding yeah exactly which you shouldn't hoard because i'm pretty sure there's going to be enough to distribute to everybody that's why they had to put some limits on the items like you can only buy one or two per per person so they won't have to be stuck uh, restocking fast and basically yeah okay so it's okay if not but are there any resources you'd like to shout out in order to like assist or accelerate the efforts of those who are dedicated to healing our earth and healing the society well, the only one I can think of is Pure Solutions because once I joined last year, um, I was when the when they did the presentation at the beginning meeting, I was I wasn't as focused. But once they showed me everything and what they do and stuff, and it kind of got me more onto a level that I'm like, oh, I actually want to like try to change something. And we started doing these volunteer like at the St. Mary's Food Bank. And it just makes you feel like very good about yourself. And also helping like like just anybody in general, even animals just just makes you feel better about yourself as a person or as a whole. Beautiful. And I agree, I'm glad that we're expanding the definition and mission of what Peer Solutions does and who we reach as things do come to a turning point with the climate crisis and just a final question. What are the three most important things you'd like today's listeners to take away from this episode? So just anything to say on this topic of like how our identities tie into this 
idea of the climate crisis. So social justice, right? We have with people and environmental justice. Any last words of wisdom you'd like to share about how these two things intersect? And feel free to take time to think about it. Well, uh, like the first you mentioned, I don't think people should be judged on their race or their how they identify their gender because at the end of the day, we're, we're basically... We're, we're like the only human race. I don't know about aliens, but I'm pretty sure there's something out there in the whole multiverse. But we're the, basically, we're like the only thing on Earth besides animals. And a- animals, we don't deserve them, but they are they're really loyal. Like dogs are my favorite animals. But as I was getting back to the topic, uh, money, it shouldn't identify what we can do and what we're capable to do or like what we need to access. I feel like that's like the most important thing from throughout this whole podcast. And something else, or two more things I got out of this now is, is the other one is recycling. Because eventually if we all recycle, I'm pretty sure one by one, it's gonna start accumulating and building up. We just got a scaffold uh, there. And, and we can that, live in our trash. I mean, we yeah. can use the plastic and some people will make bricks for houses and you know, it seems weird, but all this trash, it's not it's going just, anywhere it's, and it's not decomposing, it's so we're going to have to use it for something. Yeah. All right, any, and last one, anything um, else? I can think of right now also was climate, how how we mentioned that we do, like, leave a lot of lights on. We burn a lot of uh, organic matter, uh, fossil fuels, like, back in, like, trains, they would burn coal when we grill outside and I'm not saying to completely stop all of this but to like just be thoughtful and like stuff you could do after you know after you grill maybe you could like not try to use as much like as electricity as you as you normally do so it can just be like just be thoughtful of everything because at the end of the day we have we have the power to change how we live and scientists have said it have said and it is possible to change climate change for like just better for us so yeah so it is it's not impossible to stop we just don't want to do anything about it i like it mindfulness absolutely in final review this episode of chip talk was centered around climate justice and its prevalence in arizona indigenous communities We define climate justice as a movement that addresses environmental devastations with socially equitable solutions. Thanks to the work of professionals like Manuel Pino and Dr. Carletta Chief, we've learned about a few of the organizations dedicated to advocating for local communities that are suffering due to globally systemic grievances. Feel free to reach out to Peer Solutions for more support and resources. And again, an incredible thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode. Take care. We love you. Toodles.